Right on. We are in our third week of our series called A Vertical Christmas, and uh, I've been looking forward to this week the most of all of them. And, uh, and it's not because I think one is better than the other. It's just kind of where my heart gets really excited, and you'll hear me talk about it in a minute. But before we get into sort of the topic of it, I want to I catch you up on this, this legacy thought. And so here's where we're at for those of you that don't know. Um, this time last year, this church didn't exist. We didn't have a service yet. We, we haven't had any of this. Um, our first service was on January the 12th of this year. And so um, that was our very first service and did a big grand opening, all this kind of stuff. But at this time last year, um, we were literally in renovations. We were still putting things back together. We were buying the equipment that we needed, all that kind of stuff. But we were in a place where we needed God to literally do a miracle and come through in our life in terms of finances and all the things that we needed to be able to make it happen. And um, we had 52,000 uh, postcards. You may have been somebody who got one of those. We had 52,000 postcards that were sitting at the post office. And um, they were so happy about that because a crate like showed up, like a whole skid steer showed up with 52,000 invite cards. We had all this stuff that was in place, but we still had great need. And so I said that to say this, that we put ourselves in a faith position that was like, God, we need a miracle. We need you to come through. We need you to meet us where we're at, or this thing isn't going to happen. And it happened. God came through. We were actually looking to raise $100,000 uh, to be able to plant the church and start all that we needed to start. And God did it. 100000 came in. And actually, by the time it all came in, we had a little more than that. And uh, we got everything that we needed. And we got it all in place. And our grand opening was awesome. We had 273 people showed up on our first day. And it was just a really big deal. 20-some, uh, 27 salvations, I think? I can't remember. Uh, that's terrible that I can't remember the exact number. But 20-some salvations that day. Just an incredible thing. God did an awesome thing. And so the natural tendency as a human being would be to be like, oh, it happened check it off the list. Now, like, let's just relax and like have church and just do church. And, but that's not what God calls us into. God calls us into going from glory to glory, from one step to the next step. Like you don't ever graduate from faith. Like, oh, I, I made it through that faith, faith test. God provided. Now I'm graduated. I don't have to live in faith anymore. We did it. No, after you've gone through a season and you've graduated from faith, then it's like, okay, God, what's next? What's the next step? What's the next sort of deep waters that you're calling us into? Because we want to live where it's us relying on God, not us doing it all by ourselves. Amen. We want to be spirit led or God led. And so God calls us into the deep things where we're required to trust. Amen. Okay, Christmas morning, I know there's not everybody here, but you're with me, right? Everybody's with me? Okay, we're faith people, we're trusting God. Okay. And so, um, so here we are as a church. We've had a great year. Incredible stuff has happened, but God's starting to speak to us about what next year looks like and the things that we want to do and, and what he's calling us into. And so as a church, we found three areas, and there's a card that's on your seat that lists those. We found three areas that we feel like God is calling us to do these things. But these things are faith areas for us. They're bigger than ourselves. They're um, putting ourselves in a situation where God has to come through where, hey, God, we, we know you're calling us into this, but it's a faith goal. We have to step out. We got to trust you in these things. And so one of them is called, um, it's our healing, our vertical healing center. And so we're getting ready on our second floor to renovate a space 
Um, we're actually working on it already, just in faith, believing that God's going to come through. Um, it's our vertical healing center. It's going to be a counseling ministry. It's going to be an addiction recovery group, and it's going to be our public prayer rooms, which we're going to call the healing rooms. So a place that people can just come and get prayer for any kind of sickness or any kind of struggle that they're in. We're just here to pray for them. And so that's the vertical healing center. The other part is our vertical kids. Uh, a couple weeks ago, about a month ago already, we were looking at our attendance, our total church attendance, and 42% of our total attendance as a church were children under the age of fifth grade. So almost 50% of all of our attendance was kids and was the next generation. Well, why? We, we prayed that in. We, that's our heart. We believe in the next generation and connecting that. And so looking at that, you're saying, oh man, we need to grow. We need to make preparation to be able to meet the needs of these kids and what God's sending us. And we believe that God doesn't send you something unless you're ready to handle it. And so if God is growing the kids' ministry and God wants to do more with the kids, then we got to make preparations. And so um, right here, Vanessa, we, we met with Vanessa. And uh, unfortunately, uh, she's a Michigan State graduate. Uh, but she has a boo, uh, boo, even though none of us have anything to brag about right now. But yeah. Um, so Vanessa and her husband, Ryan, actually both graduates of Michigan State. Um, everybody has a bad past. We'll forgive it. But, um, but anyway, so we began to talk with them and meet with them that she has a teaching degree from Michigan State and a huge heart for kids. And uh, she believes in outreach and connecting with people outside the church. And so we began to talk with her over the summer. You know, what does it look like if you came on board and helped us with the kids ministry? Because we know we got to grow this. And so uh, she prayed, they prayed and we're in agreement and she left her job and is going to be our director next year in kids ministry. And we got together and found a, a, just an incredible curriculum that we believe is going to take our kids and our homes to the next degree. It's not only children's ministry that's going to take place on Sunday, but we're going to provide parents with tools to be able to minister at home. Simple things from uh, prayers that they can do at night uh, at, at bedtime. Um, dinner like dinner conversations, like, oh, hey, talk to your kids about this at dinner, and uh, just all these different things that is all weaved through Sunday morning. So we're, marriage, we're making a marriage between church and home with our kids. And so vertical kids is the second thing, that, and there's expansion that we need to do upstairs in our kids' space. And, um, and so it's awesome. Those are all incredibly positive things, but to be able to do those things, uh, there's some trusting God, like, hey, we need to grow, we need to expand. God, we need to, what, what, what do we need to do to be able to do this? And so Vertical Healing Center and Vertical Kids. And then the third tier is what we're going to talk about today, Kids Hope Ministries. And um, when we started this church, one reason we picked City on a Hill, the building that you're in right now, as a place that we were going to have this church, is because this is a 100,000 square foot facility. It's the Old Zealand Hospital. And it's about 80% full of other nonprofit faith-based ministries. And so we thought, man, how cool is this if we can put a church in here and we can partner with all these other ministries that are within this place? So not only are we being able to connect with ministries that are here and we'll be able to work with them and that'll help us, but it'll help essentially our neighbors in the building. So those of you that have been with us for a while, you know that we've connected with Rick Rack and helped with the foster teenagers. And uh, we've just done different things like that with um, City on a Hill. And literally there's a $70,000, I believe is the number, uh, cafe renovation that's taken place. Um, they're redoing the cafe and we were here helping take stuff out on Thursday. And so our heart, I'm saying all this to say our heart in this has been to partner with City on a Hill and how can we as a church come here and strengthen what God's doing here so that we can send it out even stronger. And so one of the ministries that's here that we share the second floor with is called Kids Hope. And it's a mentoring program for members of churches. Um, they 
they come and they get trained by Kids Hope and then they're released into our public schools. And so uh, what you do as a mentor is you go there and you help the teachers with students who are identified as at risk, somebody who needs a little extra help. And so you can do anything, some of it's activity time. You play a little basketball or soccer or whatever. And then uh, you also help with like flashcards or English words or whatever. And you come in for one hour a week as a mentor and you mentor the same students. So you start to build this relationship um, as kids hope. And so for us as a church, um, what's a huge blessing to us is we get to go change lives and make relationships, not only with the students, but with the teachers, but it also gives us a key to the schools, if you will. Here it is as a church, we can literally walk into the public schools and begin to love on uh, what we believe is a, is a huge need. You know, public schools, we'll be able to come in and, and be light and be hope and, uh, and love on our public schools. And so um, it's expensive for us to partner with Kids Hope. It's a national program, and one of their headquarters just happens to be here in Zealand. Uh, but it costs about $3,000 to get your church accredited and to get your people mentored. And so we're doing it. It's not going to be any cost to anybody who wants to be a part of it. Uh, but as a church, we're going to get accredited and go through all the training and be in a position where we can start loving and giving back to our schools. It's more, church is about more than just the four walls in the same old Sunday. Somebody say amen. And so if we can go into the schools and love on kids and make relationships, we think that's just an incredibly valuable thing. And so these are all things that aren't in our day-to-day -day budget. They're just not in the every Sunday, every 52-week budget. And so we said, okay, God, what are we going to do? You know, like we, you're calling us into this. What should we do? And so praying and talking and, and connecting with people, uh, we decided at this time of the year, we were going to take up an offering for this month called our legacy offering. And we're calling it our legacy offering because we believe what we do here, what we do now will outlive our life. So we call it legacy offering, outlive your life. And um, that's what this does. As we plant seeds with kids in schools, as we connect with people in our vertical healing centers, we pray for the sick and see them healed. All those things go beyond ourselves. Somebody say amen. And so uh, we decided, okay, we're going to take up this legacy offering. And so uh, we'll talk about it more here in a minute. But before we do, I want to introduce to you Kids Hope a little bit more. We got a video. It's about a minute and a half long. But check out this video, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more. Who are at risk um, are normally at risk either emotionally or psychologically. We see it in school, in their academics, their behavior, or their attendance. And normally something has happened in their family, maybe a family change, um, it could be a broken home, it could be something tragic that has happened. Um, so normally that's what we consider at risk. One of the things that the states look at is the number of students not reading on grade level by that age and that determines the number of beds that may be needed in prisons in the future. Kids Hope is a program that identifies church members and partner them with students at the school and the program is set up to where the mentor comes one day a week for one hour and have a one-on-one -on -one, um, just relationship with the child. It's not a particularly structured time, but they do have activities uh, that they can do one-on-one -on -one with the student. It's truly about the relationship, and that's really the key behind Kids Hope and its success at school. Well, I think that there's so many kids that uh, that need this, that don't have it. Again, we don't, we don't know the family situations. We don't know what's going on in school. We have absolutely no idea what's going on behind the scenes, but we do know that there's a lot of kids that need this program. And to just spend an hour every single week is not that big of a, uh, a commitment. Um, you do have to be willing to show up, 
but most people can find an hour in the week to do it. A picture is worth a thousand words. What I see is when that child looks at that mentor and sees them, the smile that's on that child's face, I mean, that is really special to see the impact that these mentors are making with these children because I think that child is looking and saying, this is just for me. This, this person is here just for me. When you look back on this experience, it will be one of the most rewarding experiences that you will ever have in your entire life. As they go through life, this will be a memory that they will take with them forever of the difference that they made in that life of that child. So I heard this story from a pastor friend of mine. Uh, he actually shared it in one of his devotional blogs, and it tells a story of this dad with a super successful business, and uh, his son kind of grew up used to his dad being busy with, with work and, and a multi-million dollar kind of a situation. And so um, graduation came for college, and the son said, you know, sort of this attitude of like, hey, you know, you were busy my whole life, you were building your business, but um, now that you have that money, um, you know, I have this grand request and uh, had a specific sports car in mind and had been telling people, you know, for graduation of college, I got good grades. I did everything I was supposed to. Uh, my dad's going to get me that car. He's going to get me that car. It's important to me if I get that kind of car, if I get that sports car that way, um, then, then that's what's going to work for me in my life if I get that kind of car. So graduation day came. And uh, all the friends gathered, and they went through the whole thing, and uh, there was no car in the driveway. There was no car anywhere to be seen. And uh, as the events sort of ended and wrapped up, the, the, the dad, the businessman, he called his son into the, his office, and he said, hey, uh, you know, you, you did great. You've made me proud. Um, you know, you finished with good grades. I want to give you this gift. And so his son had been telling people for weeks, I'm going to get this car. It's looking good. I'm going to get this sports car. Um, he knows what I want. They're available in town. So he gets this package, and it's, you know, it's not very fancy. It's kind of strangely wrapped, and his dad pushes it across his business desk and says, hey, here, open this thing. And already disappointment is set in. It's not a car. It's not, uh, it's not huge. It's just this box. And so he opens up the box, and in it is a Bible. And uh, his dad's very excited about the Bible and, and uh, kind of presents it to him. It's got his name on the bottom, and the kid stops there. He gets really upset, and... Uh, and he gets rid of the Bible. He pushes it back and he says, you know, I, that, that can't do anything for me. That's not going to do anything for me right now. I don't, I don't need that. I don't want that. That's not what I need in life right now. And he pushes that back. And uh, the strangely wrapped package kind of gets pushed aside. And um, story goes on that he lives disconnected from his father. And um, he goes years and years without seeing his dad. And his dad actually passes away. And uh, the story goes in the blog that I'm reading is that he eventually goes back to take care of some of the belongings. His dad had passed away, and they're kind of closing everything up. And he's sitting at his dad's desk, kind of just surveying all the business things and all his dad's accomplished. And on the shelf, many years later, he's already had kids. He's already really moved on in life. 20, 30-some years later, he's looking, and he sees on the shelf that package, that really uniquely weird-looking package. And he goes over to it, full of dust, hasn't been moved probably since the day. And when he opens it, he finally opens the Bible. And in the Bible, Matthew chapter 7 uh, is highlighted. It says, turn to Matthew chapter 7, which is a scripture that says, if us being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more does our heavenly Father know how to give good gifts? And, uh, and so when he flips to Matthew 7, the keys to the sports car fall out. And uh, it had been etched in the Bible for him. And his 
package didn't look the way that he thought it was going to be. The gift, the, the, the thing that he so desired didn't come the way that he thought it would come, but it was still there. It still would have got him there. The, the keys were there. It wasn't the car, but the keys were there. And I thought about our life and how we're going to talk this morning about um, Christmas, of course, and all these things and packages and gifts. I thought about our lives and our walk with God. How many times do we say, God, your blessing and what you have for me has to come this way? And it has to be just like this, or I'm going to get upset, or I'm not going to receive it. And a lot of times, it comes a different way. It's still the key. It still gets us to what God's promise is, but it comes in like a strangely packaged gift. Somebody say amen. And so uh, he, in his heart, is feeling like, man, I've missed it all along. He had what was right for me and what, what, what I was desiring, but it just came a different way. And I thought about even the manger. You look at the manger, what a strangely wrapped package. What, a, what an awkwardly gifted sort of scenario there. Even Jesus coming in the way of a manger and being in a stable. And, and he was Messiah. He was the king. But he just, it came in a different way. It wasn't quite the car, but it was the key. Somebody say amen. amen. And so I thought about Joseph. Uh, you sit here and you start to lay out all the people that God's promise was delivered in their life, but it came a different way. Joseph had a great call in his life. We all know the story, Joseph in the coat of many colors. And so he's blessed and he's got this coat of many colors and he goes back to his family and he's looking forward to being celebrated as having this coat and people should be proud. Instead, they get mad and they beat him up. And we all know the story. They throw him into this pit and he gets sold into slavery. And so he has this idea of, I'm going to come back and I'm going to show him my coat and they're going to be proud and it's going to be the sports car. The next thing he finds himself sold into slavery, he finds himself in Egypt and uh, he's working for a baker and a butler. Uh, and so Potiphar and this whole thing, he's working. And so when he's there, uh, he's interpreting dreams for the baker and the butler. We all know the story. Uh, so he's in a place, he's in a strangely wrapped place, if you will, where he says to the baker and the butler, he says, you know, he's interpreting their dreams and he tells them after 13 years of slavery and being in jail or 13 years of jail, he tells them, hey, uh, remember me, remember me when you're ahead and you're off doing your thing and I get out of here, he says, hey, just please remember me. And so eventually we know the story uh, that once he's out of prison, uh, we know that he gets called in to interpret dreams. And so he gets remembered by the baker and the butler, and he gets brought before uh, kings and people, and he said, uh, hey, I'm going to interpret your dreams for you. And so the scripture, and I'll, I'll just kind of read this part to you, uh, the scripture goes like this. When he gets out of prison and he's interpreting the dream, uh, he says back to him after this, he says, listen, you can have all that you want up to half of my land. You're going to lead us through this famine. The scripture said that he was basically given the golden key to the city, but it didn't come the way that he thought it would come. Somebody say Amen. So what does this matter? What does it have to do with kids' hope? I think for us, in our lives, we always think changing the world is going to be this beautifully packaged, I'm going to be this televangelist, I'm going to be this world-changing like missionary, I'm going to be, and I'm going to change the world. But a lot of times it comes wrapped in just really strange, different scenarios, maybe like going into our schools and playing a little basketball. Somebody say amen. Maybe it's mentoring a kid. Maybe it's like going through flashcards and working on English words. Maybe that's how we'll change the world. Maybe the package is by loving our community. Somebody say amen. amen. I thought about Job 
You guys know the story of Job. It says God tells him he's going to be blessed with double everything. So the, the, the beautiful package that he's going to get is that he's going to be blessed with double. And if you read the story, and we don't have time to go through it, but if you read the story, the first thing that happens is he loses all of his uh, livestock, which is his livelihood, and he loses all of his help. So all his workers, all his people that are with him uh, are gone. It's, it's, it's no more. There's no getting it back. And then the second thing that happens is his family gets killed. So here he has a promise from God. The sports car from God is that you're going to get double. You're going to be blessed. It's going to be incredible. How many of us have ever been heard that from God? Like, oh, go. It's going to be blessed. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be amazing. And the next thing you turn around and everything's gone. Somebody say amen. And what I love about Job is his friends are telling him, hey, you're a liar. You're not blessed by God. You're not going to get a double. This is judgment on you. How many of you have ever heard from God and been obedient to God and walked, and then you lost everything, and the people around you said, oh, look at you deserve this. Somebody say amen. Who've ever had that? Are you with me? So the thing about Job is he's got no Bible to turn back to, right? It's not like, hey, let me bust out the New Testament, read a Joel Osteen scripture quick. That's a joke. There's no Joel Osteen scriptures, just so you know. I don't have Joel Osteen in here. It's okay. Um, But there was like no church. There was no referring back to the words of Jesus in his time. The scripture says that his response was, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. His friends say, you're a liar. God's not going to give you a double portion. His wife even says, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? Like, this is so bad. Your friends think you're a liar. They think you're a joke. Your wife is saying, hey, just curse God and die. And even Job says, I went forward and I went back. I went to the left and I went to the right, and I still couldn't find God. How many of you have ever been in that scenario? You're just, you're looking at the bank account. You're looking at your family. You're looking at everything. You're saying, God, I trust you. I believe that you have promises for me, but I look forward and I look back and I look left and right, but I can't see you right now. Somebody say amen. And he says this, despite all of this, he said, I know that my redeemer lives. He's saying, I believe that there's still life somewhere in all of this. There's still life. God is still God and he still lives. I love this. The scripture says he got double everything, said that he got double the business that he used to run. And people say, well, he had 10 kids. I just heard this thought this week. It's incredible. Uh, He had 10 kids, but after all this, God only gave him 10 kids. And so he was supposed to get double everything, and he got double everything in cattle and livestock and workers and all business, all this stuff. So he had 10, lost 10, and God only gave him 10 back. Why did God only give him 10 back if the promise would have been 20? Because when you die and you're in the believer, you don't die. You just go to heaven. So he still had 10. Somebody say amen. God just gave him 10 more. He had the double. It's just the 10 were in heaven. Somebody say, that's good. My mind was blown there. I love that. I was like, I love it. So back to kids hope. Strangely wrapped package. All these things. God, I don't see how it's going to work. God, I don't see this. I don't see how this is going to be all put together and work out. We're looking for the sports car but God's giving you opportunities, all that he's giving you the keys every day in our life. We have to stop getting so caught up in the big glorious glory cloud of all of the miraculous. And if we can start doing the little things, that's why the scripture says, be faithful in the little things, God will be, make you ruler of much. If we can start accepting the key and believe that the car is going to be with it, God will be able to make a way for us. Amen. I thought about Noah. Noah for a hundred years 
was dealt a package that he had to build a boat for a hundred years. He had to build a boat because rain was coming, which nobody had ever seen rain. Like, can you imagine? Like, God, you're, you're talking about you're saving my family, that we're the only righteous ones here on earth, and you're going to bless me for that. But then for a hundred years, I'm going to build this boat for rain that's never come. Are you sure you're not making fun of me at this point? Like you want to bless and take care of my family, but for a hundred years, people are walking by and ridiculing. It comes in strange packages. Somebody say, that's good. Esther, uh, her people are being uh, commissioned to be murdered. Her generation is going to be wiped out. Her people are going to be, and, um, and, and God speaks to them and says, hey, why don't you fast? Why don't you make preparations? And then why don't you go into the king's court and petition the king? And the scripture says that unless the king knew you were coming and had his scepter already held up, if you came around the corner and without being welcomed, you were to be murdered. So here's Esther. She has no business walking in to see the king. She has no arrangement, no reason to be there. And the scripture says that before she even gets around the corner, the king is saying, whatever you want to half of my kingdom is yours. Why? Because sometimes you just got to trust God, even when it comes in strange, strange packages. Amen. You guys got that? Okay, <laughs> Moses, we thought, thought, think about Moses all the way back to the beginning of his life. He's put in a basket and he's sent down the river uh, as a young child, we know. And then he has the burning bush revelation. So he's walking in the desert and the burning bush appears to him. And then after that, we know he leads his people out of Egypt or he leads them all the way to the Red Sea. And uh, we know when he gets to the Red Sea, now he's facing this Red Sea and the enemy is closing in on him. And what? He's believing God's promise. He's believing that what God has for him is the best, but the package in it looks very strange, looks very impossible. Somebody say that's good. I'm going to pound it into you because a couple months from now, when you're like, I don't know what's going on in my life, I'm going to be like, hey, you said you got it. When I was talking about strangely, you said, you said you were with me. <laughs> Joshua in the wall, marching around a wall and blowing trumpet and all these things, like all these packages all throughout scripture. I think it's awesome that the Bible is full of Daniel and the lion's den. The scripture says about Daniel, in him was found an excellent spirit. What was his reward for an excellent spirit in seeking God when others didn't? He gets thrown in the lion's den. God, what kind of package is this? This is not a good benefit packet. What are you doing to me here? Uh, David, we know, uh, and this will be a good leadership lesson for you. The scripture says about David, you know, he's a shepherd boy and he's up there tending to the flock and his family says, hey, go take your brother some lunch. Go down, they're fighting a battle, you take them some lunch. And the scripture says, and this is a good lesson, the scripture makes it clear that he arose early in the morning and then brought him lunch. And the reason I want to point that out, because the scripture says right when he got there is when Goliath showed up on the scene. So Goliath shows up on the scene right when David gets there. So if David didn't keep order, if David didn't show up on time, he would have missed Goliath. He would have missed his whole destiny. The reason that's important is because church people got to stop showing up late to stuff. Everybody say, good truth, <laughs> preach. We do this little five-minute countdown, and it's like a buffer for late people. And we're going to have to make that like a 15-minute countdown. At the way, that's none of you guys here. Like, I'm not saying you guys, I'm just saying... <laughs> So the lesson here, the lesson here, I'm just messing with you guys, calm down. The lesson here, he rose early and he got there on time. Why? Because sometimes your promise is linked to your stewardship, amen? And so uh, I just love that. I love that Daniel, David, all of these stories, it didn't come in this textbook 
uh, oh, do this and do this. The problem is with Christians is we have all of these devotions, we have all these books, we have all these things that narrowed God down to like perfect equations or formulas or potions. Trust the Lord with all your God, with all your heart and lean on your understanding and he'll make your life perfect. And so we take the end part, like, oh, God's gonna make my life perfect. But the trust God with your whole heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, all of that stuff before it, is a lot of work, and it's really strange packages that we have to deal with. God's promises are true, but he also trusts and believes that we're going to walk through the scenarios that he's called us to walk through. Amen? Amen. Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 2 Corinthians 2, or 12, 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake or for the gospel's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties for when I am weak, he is strong. She said, like, oh, it's not a very good Christmas message. <laughs> Listen, hope and the idea of hope and kids' hope and meeting people and relation, connecting with people in the gospel, for the gospel's sake, it says, for the gospel or for Christ's sake, I delight in the times where the package isn't what we thought it would be. The scenario isn't exactly how we thought it would come. The gift isn't wrapped just perfect. And um, I'm not allowed to wrap Christmas presents because I'm not even allowed to write on the grocery list. That's how bad my handwriting is. So those things I'm not allowed to do. Um, but I've come to know this, that like in our walk with God, not everything is going to be perfect. Not everything's going to be crisp lines and perfectly tight. Our God is great and he has wonderful things and he has the best things for you. But in the process, we have to learn that word right there, that I can delight, I can find delight in weakness, sometimes in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Why? Because it's God who is strong when we're weak. It's not on you to be strong. It's God who's strong through us. Amen? That's a strange package. That's a weird thing that we have to figure out, but, but that's just how God does it sometimes. Um, I cannot tell you how many people come to me and say, the most devastating day of my life, they'll say, is when I lost my job. Most devastating day when I lost my job. But then I started that business. And when I started that business, it became the best day of my life. Or uh, we decided to trust God and move and do this. Or this happened or this happened. And I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, but it became the best thing in my life. Why? Because in our weakness, it's the place that God can become strong. And so I want to encourage you as we talk about kids' hope and moving forward, and especially as we take another offering, um, in our weakness... Like, I don't know if I'm qualified to be a mentor. I don't know if I am good enough to be able to connect. I don't know if I have the time. I don't know if I have that. I don't know if it's that important or what. Listen, you may not have all the answers. You may not, you know, be who you think is good enough or strange packages are what God uses. I don't have it all figured out. Like this church doesn't have it all figured out. But if we can go in and trust God to be strong in our weakness, I think we'll see incredible things happen. Amen. I thought about this. Why does kids' hope matter? Why do mentors matter? 
Here's why they matter. It's because if I were to get up here right now and be like, hey, can you all tell me the last five or 10 Nobel Peace Prize winners? Tell me the one from 1993. Tell me the 2001 Heisman Trophy winner. Tell me the 2007 American Idol winner. All these things that we give accolades to. If we were to line them all up, those things get forgotten. If you go back to your childhood, if you go back to how you were brought up, I bet all of us in this room could say, well, I had one teacher or I had that one coach, or I had that one Sunday school person, or I had that one person who loved me here, who believed in me here, who spoke life into me here. See, we always think we have to have this big degree and this big thing, and we got to have it all worked out. If we can just be somebody who trusts God and loves people, he'll do incredible things. Amen? Don't make it about we have to have everything figured out. Everybody says, like, well, the school systems are so rough. I don't know if we even want to partner, and I don't believe what's going on in the school. Um, I grew up in Jenison, and I was a city slicker. And, uh, and so I didn't know anything about, like, country and farm or anything. And then my parents started down the road of witchcraft, which is horses and animals and those things. And, um, yeah, so my dad's here. Uh, he, he agrees with me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so... So anyway, their great idea was, hey, we're going to move from the city and we're going to move into Jamestown or Hudsonville area and we're going to get horses and all this kind of stuff. And I'm a city slicker. I'm used to about as adventurous as I get was like I jumped the fence to go play baseball with the neighbor. That was about like as crazy as we got. So we're living in this country house and we're learning all of this farm stuff and I would ride my bike up and down the country roads and um, I'll never forget. And if you're an animal lover, I'm sorry, but this is just farm living as they would say it. Um, I remember the first time in my life that, because uh, farm living is totally different, that I was ever just driving down the road, and, I, and I'll use language that's not super gruesome, but um, this is the first time ever a farmer executed one of his cows, just like out, just like right off the road, like it was sick or something, and he went out there and took care of that thing, and he scooped it up on his bobcat and just carried it around to the back, and as a city slicker, I was like, oh my gosh, like, should I call somebody? <laughs> like, what is, and so... Uh, and then it's like, well, it's farm living, you know, it's a sick cow. We got us. So now, like, when I'm out in the country around my parents, like, I don't even let them know if I get a sliver because I'm afraid the bobcat's coming. Like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. <laughs> like, I don't want to be. But um, so we move. So I'm a city slicker. We move into the country. And our neighbor is this guy who's like the country guy. He answers his phone. Yep. Like, that's true story. <laughs> and he asked me and my brother to paint his fence. And, uh, and so he was actually a painter. It's just one of those random thoughts that when you're 10, 12 years old, you remember your whole life. So we're out there painting or whatever, and we're getting a bunch of paint on our clothes. And he comes over and he says like, hey, you know, going to have a lot of wash to do or whatever. Your mom's going to have a lot of wash to do or whatever. Like, yeah, because we got paint on our clothes. I understand what you're saying. And he said, but you know what? You don't ever ask a farmer how it's going, uh, how work's going. You don't ever have to ask a farmer how work's going. And it's like, well, why is that? He's like, well, you can just drive by and take a look at the clothesline. And if they're out working hard, if they're busy, obviously, no, we don't even use clotheslines anymore, but the analogy is still true. If their clothesline is full of clothes that they've worked hard in, that means they're out there, they've earned it, they've like grinded it, they've been out there. It's a good season, they've, they've earned it, they're out there doing their thing. And I feel like us as a church, we need to put some more stuff on our clothesline. Somebody say amen. 
And so, oh, I don't know if I believe in the school or the way school systems are going or whatever. Well, listen, the church doesn't have a voice because they're not out and involved in putting stuff on their clothesline. Somebody say amen. If we can just get in there and, and be a light and love people and connect and get messy and do some work and put some stuff on our clothesline, I think we'll gain back influence, not only in our community, but in this nation. Amen. So that's why kids hope is important is so that we can love on kids so that they can be uh, seen and known that, hey, you matter. Like, hey, we're, we're take, like the video said, we're taking time out of our schedule to, to connect with you because we believe in you, because you have a great future, because your time matters, because you're a valuable person. Somebody say amen. Matthew nineteen fourteen said, Jesus said, let the little, little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such of these or of these. So if the kingdom of heaven is about kids, how much more should the church be about kids and mentoring and connecting and being a part of our daily community in schools? Amen. The other upside is the blessing that we can be to our teachers. You know how many teachers have to do uh, grade paperwork or uh, set up curriculum or do that from their own home? They've just run out of time at school. So you say, oh, what's one hour really going to make a difference? You coming in and helping these students, not only does it help the students, but it helps teachers. Teachers having to do all this kind of stuff at their own time, at their own family expense. We can come in and be that light and meet the needs. Somebody say amen.